You're listening to the Evanston Bible Fellowship Podcast. EBF is a community of sojourners empowering one another to cultivate gospel transformation. To learn more about our church, visit ebfchurch.org. Today's scripture is 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22, through 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 3. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning. I think we can do a little better than that, hopefully. Good morning. There we go. Awesome. Uh, Good morning to everyone gathered here. Good morning to everyone joining us on the live stream as well. It's a delight to be with you. My name is Tim, and I serve here as lead pastor. I want to also uh, say congratulations to our recent graduates as well of uh, Northwestern. Good, what an accomplishment that is. And also, um, <laughs> you might notice the family resemblance, but my, my folks are here. Tom and Sue Allen, including my father, who I called out last week in terms of how similar we are. So you might notice some of those family resemblances. But anyway, mom and dad, welcome. It's good to have you here. This evening's service is uh, called A Service of Lament. And we've been sending out some information about that particular service. And want to invite our church family to attend that service. But really, the purpose of this is to uh, spend an evening together using the biblical language of lament to give voice to our pain and grief, both corporately and individually, to bring healing, to see God bring healing to our body, and ultimately to trust God's plan and sustaining power over our church. There is so much in this world, in our church, in our lives to lament and to be real, to be as real and raw with God as the psalmists are themselves is really uh, a, big, a big feature of what tonight is all about. And so you can expect that service. Uh, we'd invite you all back. It's at 4 o'clock here again. Um, for those of you that might remember the days of like the Sunday evening service, I guess, it's kind of a throwback, but... Uh, That service, though, will include uh, welcome, a teaching on what the purpose of lament is, an example of lament, as well as the key elements of lament, and then spending some time in in prayer together, in corporate prayer, as well as in small group prayer, lifting up our our world, our church, our, our families, and us as individuals as well. Lament is really can be defined as a prayer in pain that leads to trust. And if you look at the lament psalms, which actually make up roughly a third of the psalms overall, they include these elements within them of turning to God in prayer, 
complaint of some sort that is being real and raw with our pain and our suffering, asking God, boldly asking God to intervene in that pain, and then expressing trust in God. And so that, is, that gives you an idea of just how we will be spending our evening together um, in that, that flow of turning, complaining, asking, and trusting. I believe that it is vital that churches like ours, that we learn to lament together, that we learn to incorporate more of that, that biblical language of lament. This, this is kind of a side note, but it struck me that even in looking to, to um, part of what we'll do as well as to worship in song during the service of lament. And we were struck just in pre- preparing, I can echo Jeff here, but how few songs of lament there are that we sing as believers in Jesus Christ. And so, like I said, it's, we believe that it is, it is vital that we learn to lament as a church. We are in a series here called Sojourners and Exiles. And last week in 1 Peter 1, verses 13 to 21, we saw how as God's children through his gospel, we need to remember the price of our redemption, the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. To also live in the holiness and reverence that God asks of us because of the transforming power of the gospel at work in our lives. And then to set our hope completely on the grace that will be revealed at Christ's coming. This morning we continue in our First Peter series looking at the living and enduring word. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Our Father, we come to you this day with mixed emotions, grateful for who you are and for your work in this world, and yet feeling, along with creation, that sense of groaning until that day when heaven comes to earth. Lord, in this time, would you set aside distractions, help us to sit under your word and to receive it with joy. Guide us into all truth by your Holy Spirit and cultivate in us a deeper love for one another and an unceasing craving for spiritual nourishment through your gospel. Father, we lift up tonight's service to you as well. We pray that you would use this as a crucial time in our church to minister to our hearts, to bind up the brokenhearted and help us to be as real and raw with our pain as the psalmists are themselves. Would you cultivate more in us that language, that biblical language of lament, not only in our worship, but in our very lives. And now would the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, out of a couple thousand books, it was the only one to survive. Eight years ago, almost to this weekend, the Black Forest Fire erupted in a community adjacent to where Danielle and I were living in Colorado. Devastating forest fire that wiped out more than 500 homes. And in the wake of that devastating fire, we spent some time and others from the church and the community doing ash sifting and debris removal. We would literally start in the corner of a foundation kind of shoveling into the corner and then drop down into the foundation and work our way out from there. And the goal was to try to find anything that survived, anything of value. It was hot work, you know, in a Tyvek suit, just drenched in sweat, but it was 
good work as well. And comforting and encouraging work to those property owners too. Coming alongside them in that hour, that hour of need. But one day during one of those those episodes, I suppose, of uh, ash sifting and debris removal, we reached a break and our team leader came to us and showed us the one book that survived in, in this particular home, this home that uh, this, a gentleman had had thousands of books, and it was the Bible. What a sign, what a picture of God's grace, and what a buoy to our spirits, even as we did this hot and dirty work. And it was a reminder to us of God's grace and his comfort, even to these broken-hearted individuals in this time, literally, literally trying to find those last few items that remained. But church, what hope is there when we feel like things are going up in flames around us? What do we do when it feels like things are, are crumbling? When we come to experience what Peter calls the fiery ordeals later on in the book of First Peter. Church, we have the living and enduring Word of God. In our time here in 1 Peter 1, we're going to discover that God has given us new life through the living Word. The living and enduring Word of God, the gospel of our salvation. And there are two main exhortations that, that come up within this passage, that to love one another deeply from the heart, and then also to crave spiritual nourishment incessantly. So that's kind of a, an outline of, or a roadmap of where we're going. But first, because God has given us new life through the living word, let us love one another deeply. Verse 22 begins, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. Christians are first people who have heard and responded to the life-giving message of hope, the truth of the gospel. And as a result of what God has done, we come to experience a new love for one another that we have never had before. And that is what is to be a characteristic in our lives. That is what is to characterize our lives. And it is only by the transformational power of the Holy Spirit at work in us that we can have this sincere or this deep love for one another. So we come to that first main exhortation in this passage, that of love one another deeply from the heart. The word for deeply here means eagerly, fervently, or constantly. This is no superficial or shallow love that is only an inch deep. No, this is a, this is a, a love that is from the heart, as Peter mentions, to drive this point home. It is from the core of our being. One of the first marks of growing in holiness, as we saw from last week as well, is that individuals and churches grow in our deep love, not only for God, but also for our fellow Christians. This is a love that is genuine, not just one of show or of outward appearance. It is a love that shows itself in tangible expressions of acts of love and deeds of faith toward one another. You know, Scripture is filled with one anothering phrases, if I can use that, that phrase. One anothering. We saw this in the book of Ephesians. Bear with one another, forgive one another, submit to one another. 
But do you know what the most common one another phrase is in Scripture? That's right. It is love. Love. Our friends over at Visual Theology, I don't know about you, but sometimes uh, using an infographic to convey deeper scriptural truths helps me at least. I don't know if it might help you, but they put together this infographic that represents based on the size of the circle, how that's the weight of that phrase or how many times that phrase appears in Scripture. And look at love. Love one another. There's over 16 occurrences of that call to love one another. I can't help but think of how deeply Peter was affected by the teachings of Christ himself. In John 13, 34 through 35, Jesus says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Well, the reason why we should love one another deeply then is picked up in verse 23. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. This points back to chapter 1, verse 3, which says, Praise be to God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his mercy, he has caused us, he has given us new birth into a living hope. So the contrast then between perishable seed and imperishable seed reminds us that human fathers conceive life that is mortal, that will face physical death. But God, our Heavenly Father, conceives of life that is eternal that is imperishable, that is kept in heaven for you. The core truth about God that this text here reveals to us today is that God has given us new life through the living and enduring word of God. In short form, we could say new life through the old book. The living and enduring word of God. This is not only the entirety of Scripture, but especially the saving message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so for Peter who had been so deeply impacted by the word himself, he illustrates this point about the living and enduring word of God by quoting scripture. Quoting scripture. He quotes Isaiah 40, verses 6 through 8, when in verses 24 and 25, it says, For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Peter cites these verses in contrast, or to contrast, the frailty of humanity with the permanence of the Lord in giving us new life. The permanence of the word of the Lord. The glory of humankind is fleeting, is temporary, does not last. Instead, the word of the Lord endures forever. This would have been especially striking in a con. In a, in a community and in a context where the, the glories and the magnificence of Rome were everywhere, everywhere the eye could meet. The Christians Peter was writing to needed to be reminded of the power and vast dimensions of God. If you flip over to Isaiah 40, which I invite you to do, the prophet continues in this way of reminding us of, his, of God's vastness, of his power. If you look in chapter 40 down to, say, verse, verses uh, 12 through 14, 
Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, or with the breath of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket, or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord, or instruct the Lord as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him, and who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Surely the nations are like a drop in the bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. Before him all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. Jump down to verses 22 and 23. He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. For all their glory, the nations of the earth, yes, even the United States, are but a drop in the bucket. A drop in the bucket. At the end of verse 25, Peter personalizes this word, brings it even closer to home in saying, and this is the word that was preached to you. This is the same word that was preached to us when we first heard and responded to the gospel. The same living and enduring word of God that was spoken by the prophet Isaiah to ancient Israel. This is the same word that Peter then uses to encourage this fledgling community of, of, of new, newfound disciples who feel that tension of what it means to live between two worlds. And this is the same message that is then preached to us today. So a couple of takeaways for us to consider from these first few verses. First, those who have responded to the truth of the gospel should be characterized by love for one another. Peter's call to love one another is, is grounded in becoming a follower of Christ. This happens when we heard and responded to the truth of the gospel. For Peter, obeying the truth of the gospel is more than just paying kind of mental assent to it. No, it must result in transforming believers and especially how Christians treat one another. Loving one another is a gospel imperative. It's not optional. It's not a, if I get around to it, and lack of love for one another should raise a red flag to us. Those who have responded to the truth of the gospel should be characterized by love for one another. Second, remember that humankind is frail and human achievements are temporary. It kind of hurts a little bit to say that on graduation weekend for Northwestern, doesn't it? But what a reminder to us. We are reminded nearly every day about the breaking down of our bodies. Just ask my back right now. <laughs> I don't know about you, those aches, those pains. We're reminded on a daily basis of our, of our finitude, of our frailness, and of our fallenness as well. Aging and, and death are two very real issues in the church today that sometimes we speak about even less than those issues that we don't talk about in church. Why is that? Human achievements are temporary. Can you list 
I probably shouldn't put Danny on the spot because he probably can, but can you list the last winner of the World Series, the NBA Championship, the Stanley Cup, and the, and the Super Bowl? It, you have to think for a moment, don't, don't you? Or maybe if you're into like those, uh, what are those different competition shows, like can you let, name the last few winners of The Voice, America's Got Talent? It's hard to recall these things. Human achievements are temporary. Strength, power, wealth, beauty, fame, these are all things that will fade away. Human glory does not last. Nations crumble. Monuments fall. The impressive glory of imperial Rome quickly faded in contrast to the eternal glories of Christ secured on the cross. So, church, instead, let us invest in what is eternal, the living and enduring Word of God. Amidst the uncertainty of life, we have this amazing promise. The Word of the Lord endures forever. The ministry of our church should be built on the living and enduring Word of God. That's why you're not going to hear a lot of, you know, self-help type messages or motivational speaking If we really believe that God's word is living and leads to new life, why would we teach or preach anything different? The the word is, as the writer of Hebrews writes, the word is living and active. The Bible is not some sort of hidden code to be cracked, but a healing salve to our souls. The Bible is not some sort of you know, it's not the subject of numerology, perhaps, but of pneumatology. That is, the Spirit Himself who has breathed, God breathed this word. And rather than a checklist of to dos, it provides more of a checkup, a checkup for our hearts. The living and enduring word of God. The word is living, the word is enduring. That means it is, it is relevant. The word still speaks today into the situations and circumstances that we find in our lives. The word is both timeless and timely at the same time. Eternal yet personal. Even as we share our faith with those who are far from God, we can rest knowing that it is not about the cleverness of our arguments or the thoroughness of our answers that are going to somehow tip people into the kingdom or better yet, breathe life into inanimate objects. No, It is the living word, the life-giving words of God himself that does that. That should free us. It is in reading or hearing these words that God grants people new life. I was really encouraged a couple weeks ago to hear of one of our, our brothers here at EBF who had invited his friend to just simply read the Bible with him. Read the Bible with him. How simple and yet profound that invitation is. You know, one great resource I've come to appreciate is called One-to-One Bible Reading by David Helm. If you've never seen that before, it's called One-to-One Bible Reading. And it's simply that. It is a guide to help believers in Jesus Christ interact with those that may be far from God, those that may be newer in the faith or perhaps maturing in the faith. And one of, the, one of the aspects that I found most helpful was in the section leading somebody who is not yet a disciple of Jesus Christ through the Gospel of Mark. It's like, I think, eight, eight weeks in the Gospel of Mark, something like that. 
One challenge I have for us today is who is God placing on your heart to simply invite to read the Bible together? To read the Bible together. As a church, we, we believe, this is in our statement of faith, we believe that God has spoken in the scriptures both Old and New Testaments through the words of human authors. As the verbally inspired word of God, the Bible is without error in its original writings. The complete revelation of his will for salvation and the ultimate authority by which every realm of human knowledge and endeavor should be judged. Therefore, it is to be believed in all that it teaches, obeyed in all that it requires, and trusted in all that it promises. Not only should we love one another deeply from the heart, but here's the second main exhortation here in this passage. Because God has given us new life through the living and enduring word of God, let us Long for spiritual nourishment incessantly. Long for spiritual nourishment incessantly. Verse 1 links back to, chapter 2, verse 1, links back to what came before by showing the community of faith how we should love one another. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. These are attitudes and actions that are harmful and that rip apart the fabric of community. Peter starts with these two umbrella terms, all malice and all deceit. It's like saying evil and deception before then drilling down into the rest. And notice the emphasis here on the word all or every. Hypocrisy is the the masking of inward evil by an outward show of pretense. Envy is the opposite of thankfulness when good things happen to other people. Slander of, any, of every kind is any speech that harms someone or is intended to harm the reputation of someone else. All of these sins are aimed at harming other people, but love seeks the good of others. Not only do we need to be protected from what can harm us, but then Peter kind of turns the corner in the next phrase, being nourished by all that is good. Being nourished by all that is good. Look at verse 2. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Here, Peter gives an example to drive home his point, that of newborn babies. Kind of continuing the same image that he's begun in terms of new life and then rebirth throughout chapter 1. But Christians should long for spiritual Spiritual milk in the same way that newborn babies long for milk. Instinctively, eagerly, without stopping. This is a metaphor I think that is easily understood by any parent whose sleep has been interrupted by the crying of a young baby that is hangry for milk. Can I use that term? Yes. Hangry for milk. Looking at you, you, Danny. I know, low-hanging fruit. Danny and Penny have had the the most recent ones that have had a baby here. If you see his eyes kind of propped open like this. (laughs) Babies are dependent on their mothers for nourishment. And a baby can't survive very long without milk and nutrition. And just as a side note, this is not, I believe this is not a dig here. Sometimes we read in where a similar metaphor is used elsewhere in Scripture. Peter is not saying here that they are immature in the faith. No, 
all Christians are to be like infants in this longing for deep spiritual or pure spiritual milk. What is this spiritual milk? The word for spiritual here is logikos, which is a play on words with the reference in verses 22 through 25 of logos, the living and enduring word, logos. The spiritual milk they are to crave certainly includes the word of God, but I believe is not limited to the word of God necessarily. One commentator, Michaels, puts it this way, it is the sustaining life of God given in mercy to his children. But this certainly comes to us through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember the old milk commercials? It said, got milk? It's almost like this is Peter's way of saying, got gospel? Got gospel? And he was also concerned for the purity of this spiritual milk. There was a food safety incident, maybe you remember this, a while back that involved milk and baby formula that had a chemical added to them that resulted in the hospitalization of some 50,000 infants or so. The word for pure in the text has to do with that which is unadulterated, that is free from impurities. So that the result, Peter says, is by it you may grow up in your salvation. It is God's desire for us to grow in maturity in Christ. Rather than remaining stunted in our growth, consuming pure spiritual milk, that turned into a tongue twister. Pure spiritual milk is for the purpose of growing up in salvation. Remember back to Ephesians 4, verses 15 and 16. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Well, like he did earlier from Isaiah, Peter illustrates his point once again by alluding to Psalm 34, verse 8, verse 13. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good, that the Lord is good, we will continue to long for spiritual nourishment if we have indeed tasted that the Lord is good. The word for good here was sometimes used in Greek to mean delicious. I kind of love that when applied to foods in particular, like milk here, for instance. So you could read this as, taste and see that the Lord is delicious. So church, let us too commit to guarding against attitudes and actions that seek to tear apart the fabric of our community. Those such as malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Half the battle is simply being aware of these things that, that can have the effect of tearing at the fabric of our community. And this also isn't a one-and-done type of thing. We must fiercely guard this unity, as we're reminded in the book of Ephesians. We need to confess these sins to God and to one another and to hold one, one another accountable when we see them rear their ugly heads within our church, within our families, within our lives. And we need to guard one another from slipping into old patterns, the old ways before God radically got a hold of us. This is part of what it means to love one another deeply from the heart. 
long for spiritual nourishment like a baby craves milk. You'd never realize it perhaps by looking out at us here, but there are some among us here that are emaciated spiritually. We are starving and need the sustaining life and power of God. Dear church, don't dabble in the gospel. Crave it. Consume it. Internalize it. Live it. Can we honestly say that we crave spiritual nourishment in our lives? Pray that God would stir in you an intense craving for God's gospel. And if we are starving right now for the word, one encouragement I would have is don't begin by biting off more than you can chew. Start small. Think creatively. I know for me personally, I've, I don't know why it took me this long to, uh, to kind of get into this discipline, but listening to the word has become such a joy, such a delight listening to the Word. But it's an, I think it's good for us to be reminded that as many people as there are even here, that's about as many different ways as people have with connecting with our Creator. A book like Sacred Pathways by Gary Thomas, if you're familiar with that, if not, check it out. But it basically goes through different ways that people best connect with God. It could be through the arts. It could be through music. It could be through the intellectual side of things. It could be through a hike. Long for spiritual nourishment like a baby craves milk. Don't starve yourself. And third, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Of all the metaphors that are used in Scripture that involve the senses, tasting, I believe, is the most intimate and actually is the one that involves the most consuming or internalizing. Seeing God, hearing God, even touching God are incredible, but tasting God is powerful, making the experience more real and lasting and internal. I can't help but think about how many people lamented that loss of the sense of taste in COVID, how personal even that was. Taste and see that the Lord is good. As one commentator puts it, God is not a subject to be studied, but a banquet to be enjoyed. And you know, we go over to this, um, this uh, frozen yogurt place over here. I can't remember the name of it, but you know how they hand you those little, those little sample spoons? Those little sample, little wooden things. It's like a splinter-inducing sample spoon. That's what many of us are doing with the word. Instead, feast on the Word. Feast on the Word. Feast at a banquet instead of using a little ice cream scoop. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Perhaps you are here today and you have never for yourself tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Maybe you have not come to that point yourself. God created you. God loves you with a never-stopping love. He made you uniquely in his image. But something went radically wrong. Sin entered the world through our rebellion. I love this phrase. We used the breath that God had so so graciously given us to curse him. But thankfully, God did not leave us to our own devices. He did not just say, 
have it your way and walk away, he sent the way. He sent Jesus Christ, his son. He himself who is the word. The word became flesh and tented among us. If you have never placed your trust in Christ alone, may this be the day. If this has caused you to, if, you are, if there are certain questions you're wrestling with, if you yourself would like to get together and just read the Bible together, I'd be more than happy to do that. I know any of our elders here, our staff as well, I love these kinds of conversations. I love taking people to lunch or coffee too, so anytime. The door is always open. But if you have never received God's gracious gift, may today be the day. Because God has given us new life through the living word, let us love one another deeply and long for spiritual nourishment incessantly. The truth that God has given us new life through the living word is at the foundation of these two exhortations in this passage. And the result of these is so that we will grow up in our salvation. When things seem to be unsure around, around us, crumbling, when we face those fiery ordeals that come into our lives, when there are things, yes, that we are lamenting, that we cry out to God and are real in our pain and in our suffering. What hope has he given us in the midst of those storms? When we feel and we find ourselves anchorless and adrift, he has given us, oh church, his living and enduring word, the living and enduring word of God. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen, church? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we praise you that you have given us new life through the living word, the gospel of our salvation. We ask for all of the help and the grace that you supply to love, not only love one another deeply, but to crave spiritual nourishment every day. Father, we pray that you would help us to grow up into maturity in Christ. He himself, who is the very image of God. May our love for you and for one another not grow cold. Stir our hearts, not only to crave the things of you, but to lead others to you and to the source of all that is good, to your sustaining life and mercy. We pray this in Christ's precious and holy name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To hear more messages from EBF, subscribe to our podcast. And to find out how to get connected with our church, visit ebfchurch.org.